You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome today. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic, and this is my wife, Carrie, and we'll be bringing you the message today. And of course, we're so glad that you're here, that you join us online, no matter how you found us or where you're from or where you are today. You know, the world sure has changed, hasn't it? It's just changed, but we want to let you know that who we are at Mosaic has it. We're all about helping people follow Jesus through the values of worship, community, of mission in a multi-ethnic and multi-generational context. So while the world has changed and while how we do some of what we do has changed, who we are has it. And we're so glad to be here with you right now. So let's get into our scripture reading today. It's going to be from Mark chapter 15. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they let him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Amen. Amen. And as you can see, we're moving through the book of Mark, which is, by the way, the best-selling and most translated book in the history of the world. It's crazy, but true. And if you're just joining us, we have divided the book up so far into a kind of a trilogy. So far, we've seen Jesus as the man who acts, then we saw him as the God who heals, and now we're seeing him, as Mark shows him, as the king who suffers. And here's why we're really digging in to this part right here. Life's just gotten pretty crazy, right? I mean, it's like we're living in some kind of dystopian novel or sci-fi thriller some days. I don't think any of us thought on New Year's Day of 2020 that this was how our year would go. And we should probably just all corporately repent to the year 2019 for all the times we complained about it because truly 2019 was rainbows and unicorns compared to 2020. Sheltering in our homes was never how we imagined this year going. And to be really honest, this is not how Morgan and I imagined today going. Yeah, today, a Sunday, April 5th, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I'd plan on being out of town. I had a special trip planned 
with one of my sons for this weekend. It was a real special father-son kind of trip, like a once-in-a-lifetime, most likely kind of thing. And of course, it didn't happen. And so I get to be here with you today. And You know, it, it, at first, it felt like a really big deal to lose that. And, and it is a big deal on a certain level. But when I see all those pictures of all the, those doctors and nurses and frontline medical healthcare workers with bruises on their faces and falling asleep because of their long shifts and long hours, and then when I read the stories like you've read of uh, those same people who perhaps have gotten sick and some of them have even died caring for the people who were sick who came to see them, it just lets me know that the world doesn't go like it should. And so you come to a passage like Mark 15 with all this darkness and suffering and you ask me, I can hear you saying, Carrie, where is the hope here? Where's the lightheartedness? Give me some good news. And I hope we can today because lightheartedness and hope are so essential. And by the way, we are sharing lots of that in our weekly content. So please log into our social media accounts and click and like and interact there because there's such a wealth there for you. But here, here in Mark 15, Morgan and I want to show you that the Christian gospel offers a kind of hope to us that can really carry us through a lifetime of highs and lows. And that hope is absolutely the result of this passage right here. So how can the suffering, how can the passion of Jesus of Nazareth give us that kind of hope that can last for a lifetime. That's what we're going to try to see today. What are we going to look at? We're going to try to show you three things. First, we're going to take a look and see how, number one, the cross of Jesus shows us what we really need. Second, we're going to see how the cross of Simon, there's a second cross here, the cross of Simon shows us what we really want. And finally, we'll see how we can get both what we really need and what we really want. I'll take the first, Carrie will take the second, and we'll collaborate at the end for the third. You ready? Here we go. Number one, let's see how the cross of Jesus shows us what we really need. Now, how in the world can I say that? Well, what I think is so remarkable about that whole passage, what we read in Mark 15, is that it really is blow for blow. It really is a a revelation, an unpacking of what Jesus predicted would happen to him all the way back in in Mark chapter 8. In in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it's a verse that many scholars, theologians believe really is the turning point uh, of Mark's narrative. Jesus says this in Mark 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus says, don't know if you caught it, but he said this. He said, I must suffer. Not I could suffer, I might suffer, it's likely that I could possibly suffer. No, he said, I must suffer. As in, I have to suffer. It's something that I must do. Why did he say this and why did he live this? Well, for three reasons. First of all, it's because his cross, his suffering shows us that we have a need for love. We have a need for love. You have a need for love. I have a need for love. I don't know if you guys remember this, but do you remember weddings? (laughs) Remember weddings? Those were great. I love weddings. Yeah, and actually there's been at least one wedding uh, at Mosaic with Mosaic folk during the the, the current crisis uh, over the last month. And here is actually what a uh, a picture uh, of a wedding in the age of COVID looks like. There's our our friends Yossi and Debbie. Congrats to them. And uh, they're a great couple. Wish them all the best. But of course, uh, weddings are amazing. And there's always fantastic moments at at a wedding. And probably the, the best moment at a wedding is when the bride 
bride comes down the aisle and the mother stands and all the audience stands and are there and they hold their breath because she's so lovely and this thing is really going to happen. But, uh, but I think of the other moment after that moment in a wedding where everyone really holds their breath is the moment when the bride and the groom, when they begin to exchange vows. And everybody leans in a little bit more to hear what they're going to say because they typically have something personalized, something that's meaningful to them that they're going to say and proclaim to the other. And everybody leans in to hear what they're going to say and maybe, maybe to hear if they blow it or they mess up or they say something silly on camera that's going to last for a lifetime because, you know, you go to enough weddings or in my case, you officiate enough weddings, stuff happens. It just does. But... The reason everybody leans in a little more and holds their breath is because of what one person is promising to the other. One person is promising to the other the greatest thing in all the universe, in all the world. They're promising them true, forever, unconditional love. But at a certain point, the holding of the breath and the awe moment can sometimes turn into a are you kidding me moment or dude, are you serious moment because what can sometimes tumble out of well-meaning mouths can border on the ridiculous in terms of vows. And I'm talking about stuff that I've heard at weddings, stuff like this, like I promise I will never ever get mad at you. Thank you. I promise to never ever speak an unkind word to you for the next 50, 60 years of our lives, and I've heard this one, I promise to get you everything you ever want. And especially if you've been married, say, longer than, I don't know, like a month, you know, that's not just laughable. It's impossible. It's impossible. Joseph Dongel, he's a Wesleyan theologian, and he wrote a little book, and he says that God, at his essence, is this one amazing phrase. He said, God is only holy love. God is only holy love. And here's what he means. He means that God on one level is untouchable, that he's, he's pure, he's undefiled, he's not like us. He is holy. He doesn't need us. And yet, at the same time, he is all-consuming love, all-giving love. And here's why this is important, because in true love, the aim of true love is to spend yourself on behalf of someone else, like what you hear promised at a wedding. Because true love is what we all want. It's what we need. But the problem is no one can actually give that. No one can actually give perfect true love. And therefore, since no one can actually give true love, no one can ever actually receive true love. No one can get what they really need because no one is actually giving it, except that is for one, because one could and one did. We need someone to love us who doesn't need us to love him back. And when Jesus said, I must suffer, I must spend myself in love, I must die, here's why. He's saying it so that he could prove to us, he could prove to us what we need to know to be whole, that you and I, that we are the most loved, at the moment we deserve it the least. Why did he have to suffer? First of all, it's because we have a need for love. Second though, the cross of Jesus shows us that we have a need for forgiveness. About a year ago, I I got this really cool thing, which millions of Americans have. You might have one too. It's amazing, but we don't really use them anymore. It was a It was a car. Uh, I I got a new car, and a few months into the new car thing, one day, Carrie uh, called me over. She sort of gasped and called me over to the other side of the car, and she said, honey, have you seen this? And sure enough, there on uh, the passenger door was this big dent 
Now, it wasn't like completely crumpled or undrivable, but it wasn't just a kind of like parking lot door ding either. It was significant and it, it was there. And it was the kind of thing that you know that you did if you did it. So if it was you, I see you. I know that you did, but no, I'm just kidding, of course. But there was no note, no nothing, no help at all. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And the answer to that question shows us how forgiveness works. I could either track you down. I mean, sorry. I mean, track him or track her down or try to track that person down and try to make them pay, try to make them fix it, or I could fix it. I could pay it. Either they pay to fix it or I pay to fix it. Now, that's true both on an economic level and on a personal, moral level relational level because you know this when someone really hurts you when someone really wrongs you no matter how it happened think about think about what comes next think about how you feel uh, you're sitting there you, you you're bleeding on the inside you're hurting you're wounded you're, you're emotional there's a debt that's owed you what do you do well you could either on one hand you could make them pay the debt you could speak poorly of them you could root for their downfall you could hope they fail or you could be a little more cool about it a little more reserved and distant you know you just move away from them you don't like them on social media anymore you don't actively support their dreams anymore you just curse them internally what are you doing well you're making them pay down the debt or on the other hand you could just pay it. You could just forgive. You could just let it go, accept. And again, you know this, when it comes to real forgiveness, you can't just let it go. You can't just forgive because true, true, real, authentic forgiveness is painful. Where there's a, a debt, the point is there's a cost to be paid. And until that debt is paid by somebody, those two parties, those two relationships cannot be reconciled. Now, I hear some of you saying, Morgan, I think I know where you're going with this and I'm not sure I like it. Are you saying that I owe God a debt. Well, yeah, only if things and stuff like truth and justice are important because God hasn't just commanded us to love him. He's also commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself. And if we're really honest, we should be here. None of us have done that truly and rightly, perfectly. We've all wrecked, not just somebody's car, but God's world at some level and certainly other people's lives as well. So who could pay that? Who can pay a cosmic relational debt only one could, only one did. Why did Jesus have to suffer? It's because we have a need for forgiveness. Third, the cross of Jesus also shows us that we have a need to be changed. And here's what I mean. In that same passage back in Mark 8, when Jesus says that he must suffer and die, well, old Peter, Peter shows up as reliable as the sunset and Peter begins to open his mouth and say stuff. And he says, Jesus you can't talk like that. You can't say stuff like that. Uh, the point, Jesus, of your whole Messiah campaign is power and honor and glory and maybe an army one day and Rome goes out and we come in. You can't say that you must suffer. What does Jesus say right back to him? Jesus turns and he says this. It's amazing. He says, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, he calls him Satan. And of course, you got to believe the other disciples are probably loving it at this point because somebody finally put old Peter in his place. But what's this really showing us? This is showing us what Jesus is trying to get at, which is that behind certain motives, actions, thoughts, and systems of thought can be evil, supernatural 
powers. And this is why those New Testament writers later, they say over and over, they insist over and over that it wasn't just personal evil that Jesus defeated on the cross, as important as that is, but dark, supernatural powers and authorities that were also defeated by the cross because some actions, like what he's showing us here, some thought, system of thought, have have, uh, supernatural evil behind them. And one of those powers is at work right here. Because what does Peter believe? Peter believes what people throughout history believe, people today believe, which is that to lose power is the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen would be to have our status in life reduced, to have our, 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 to suffer in some way. And Jesus says, that thought, that is satanic. And yet, because Jesus did this, because he suffers and dies, He disarmed that power. He proved it to not be true. Let me ask you today, do you know why you struggle? Most likely, where you struggle, it's because you've built your life, most likely, on the pursuit of something. And to have that thing taken away, it feels like a death, so you go after it. But the pursuit of that thing, that's what ruins a person. That's what's evil, the satanic to use Jesus' term. So, but when Jesus, when he suffers and he dies and he rises, he proves Peter wrong. And guess what? Now Peter can be changed. Peter could lay down his quest for power. And he did after the cross. Peter was changed and he laid down his life for Christ. Why? Because Jesus defeated the power of power, power of evil. He defeated on the cross once and he'll come to finish the job one day. Why did Jesus have to suffer. But it's because you and I, like Peter, need to be changed so that the power of that thing in our lives can be overcome and defeated. So number one, the cross of Jesus shows us what we really need. We have a need for love. We have a need for, for forgiveness and a need to be changed. And the cross of Simon shows us what we really want. So let me just ask you, what do you really want Can you even answer that question quickly off the top of your head? This question, it kind of sounds a little selfish, maybe a little fleshly to use a Christian term. It sounds like the question of a privileged person who believes that what she really wants is actually attainable for her. After all, the Spice Girls asked us this question in a 1990s song. If a British girl group is asking us what we want, what we really, really want, a zig a zig ah. Is that question shallow and unnecessary? I don't think so. I think that this question of what we really want matters a lot. And we're gonna see as we look at the life of a little known man named Simon in Mark 15 that when our own story meets the bigger story of Jesus, something really amazing happens. Here in Mark 15, Jesus has been beaten so badly He's in so much pain that he's unable to carry the cross like he's supposed to. And so the Roman soldiers, they begin to look around for someone to carry this cross for him. So what happens? Well, the Bible says that they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. The Romans choose a man named Simon. Theologians and historians say that most likely the Roman soldiers would not have chosen a local person to do this because they would have been afraid it would have started a riot of some kind. And so they were looking for a stranger, a passerby, and they find Simon, an African Jew 
most likely traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. I don't think Simon woke up that day and thought, you know, I need some extra exercise and a good dose of terror. So I really hope that the government oppressing my people forces me to carry someone's cross and watch him die on it. I don't think he woke up saying that. I don't think any of us ever wakes up in hopes that the authorities in charge will upend our plans completely and make us do something we never wanted to do. So the question is, if Simon was forced to carry that cross, which the Bible says that, this translation actually says he was compelled to carry it. If he was forced to carry that cross and he didn't want to do it, what was it Simon really wanted? What did Simon really, really want that day? Well, I'll tell you what I think he really, really wanted. I think Simon probably really wanted to fulfill his duty, his religious duty, to celebrate Passover, to turn around and go back home, sleep in his own bed, and feel satisfied with his life again. But Simon woke up, and he headed into Jerusalem and discovered that his trip that day would be different than he had planned. Rome had different expectations and plans for Simon that day. Children's book author Mo Willems once said, if you ever find yourself in the wrong story, leave. I think that's a lovely idea. It's a lovely idea, but it's easier said than done for Simon here, and really it's easier said than done for us in our stories right now. The whole COVID-19 story seems like the wrong story, doesn't it? And I think probably all of us would really like to leave this story, but there's just nowhere else to go. Like Simon, we find ourselves this week on the road to Passover, and there's a cross that someone has pressed upon our back, or something has pressed upon our back. Like Simon, we all wish that we could just do our usual duty, pursue our dreams, achieve our goals, and go home and lie down and feel accomplished and like everything is going to be okay. Like Simon, we've found that this road we're on actually has some unexpected suffering, and we're going to have to take up our crosses that we would not otherwise choose to carry. None of us plan to shut down our lives, brace ourselves for suffering in large or small ways this year. We didn't expect to have to risk so much health-wise, or financially. James 4 tells us, though, it tells us to make space for God to change our plans because we never know what tomorrow holds. Proverbs 16:9 says that people plan their paths, but God directs their steps. And Psalm 139 tells us that all the days of our life are written in God's book before even one of them comes to pass. So I know Biblically speaking, God is very present, and he has a plan for all of us here where we are. But if you ask me what I want, what I really, really want, my first thought is that I want all of this to be over. I want every sick person to be healed. I want every business open and prospering. I want to walk into this church and see all of your faces. I want to see you guys. I want to open my front door up and invite in my friends and my neighbors, and I want to feed them my favorite foods. 
want to give them chips and guac and chicken tortilla soup. And I want to bake them a Texas sheet cake so that we can celebrate our love and our freedom. All the world is grieving a loss of freedom and fellowship and sickness and of our naive assumptions that we will always have the power to choose what tomorrow will hold. But what if, what if we do what Simon did here? What if like him, even though we're forced to carry a cross, we would never choose? What if we found that our cross doesn't just do something to us, but the cross we carry can do something for us? I mean, after all, what did the cross do for Simon? Well, on one hand, we actually find that Simon is the very first human to live and fulfill the words of Jesus in Mark 8, 34, when Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Not only do we see that Simon's the first person to take up a cross and follow Jesus, but Mark also tells us that Simon had two sons named Rufus and Alexander. Now it's assumed that these two men are named because they were known in the early church. And we assume that this is also the same Rufus who Paul greets in Romans 16, 13, along with his mother who would have been Simon's wife. When Paul wrote, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Apparently carrying that cross changed not only Simon's life, but his family as well. Because by picking up a literal cross, by doing what he was forced to do, by following Jesus in a way he never would have chosen, but was chosen for him, Simon received something that changed his life, his up-close witness of a God who would suffer and die for the sins of the world, transformed him from a man who was just on a trip to do his duty into a person who would be counted among the faithful believers in the early church. It wasn't just Simon who changed the world that day, his whole family did too. And this exposes what we really, really want. What we all really, really want is for our lives to matter. What we all really want is to know that when our plans are changed or canceled or broken, when our lives get upended in a way we didn't expect, that it's for a greater purpose. And Simon's cross shows us that this is true. Rome had an unwanted heavy burden for Simon to carry, but God, God had unexpected glory for him. What seemed like ruined plans turned out to be Simon's finest hour. What about us? What can give us that kind of vision? The kind of endurance it takes to stay on the road with Jesus and carry our little crosses. How can we get what we need to be loved and forgiven and changed and also get what we really want, a life that matters? Well, I'm gonna tell you how we can get what we really need and what we really want. 
In Hebrews 12, one through two, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that enduring the cross would be the most significant act of love that would ever happen in the history of the world. He knew that this was what would make his life truly matter. Because by doing that, by taking the cross, Jesus made it possible for Simon's story and your story and my story to all be caught up in his own story full of joy at the end and God's best ending for us. And if you today will come out a little from your own small story and connect it to God's bigger story, the story of Jesus, you will find that you can get what you really need and what you really want. And you can know this. You can know that you and your story are unbelievably significant to God. You can know that when Christ suffered, he already knew all the days of your life were written in God's book and he was providing for your redemption on the cross. And you can know that when Jesus suffered on that cross, he knew every trauma you would face in life. He knew every sin you would commit. He knew you would be unable to save yourself from all of it. And so he obeyed the father and he suffered the cross so you would not have to live without hope. Mark 8.35, Jesus said this, it's amazing. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And I love that because, you know, there's a promise in there for all of you who are working in the, in, the, in the medical world right now. There's a promise in you for that. The people who are risking their lives for the sick, there's a promise in there for all of you who are going out into the streets to, to look after those without homes or to check on loved ones or those who are vulnerable. There's a, there's a promise in that for all of you who are, who are at home, whose careers are going a different way, who are at home with small children right now. There's a promise in you for that. And the promise that Jesus offers all of us uh, right there in that scripture is that for all of us who will take up our little crosses and follow him like Simon, that there is a better life for us, more than we could imagine, not just in spite of what we lost, but because of what we lose and what we've lost. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this and I, and I told you uh, right at the beginning of the message that my trip this weekend with my son was canceled. And, you know, Simon's plans for his trip that weekend, they were they were canceled too. His his day was was, was canceled. His trip was canceled. He, he lost a weekend, but he gained eternity. He gained something better. And I don't know what you've lost, nor do I know what you've been asked to carry in return for what you've lost. But here is what I believe. Here's what I know about Simon. And I know that Simon was better for what he went through. And I am believing that you and I, that we will be better for what we're going through, for what we've been asked to pick up and, and carry in response and in return for what we've lost. Why was Simon better? How can we be better? It's because he was following Jesus through it all. He followed Jesus. He looked to Jesus, Hebrews 12 says. He looked to him. He followed him up close. He saw what Jesus did for him. 
And because of that, he got what he really needed, the love of Jesus. And he found what he really wanted all along, which was a life that mattered, that was significant. And I believe the same can be true for you and for me and for us, for this church, for a whole world. I believe that's true and can be true. So let me take a moment here and pray for us. I'm going to pray that these truths, these thoughts, this hope would sink into your hearts. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you for what you showed us and for what you did. That You said that you, that you had to suffer, that you had to go through these things for us, all for love, all for forgiveness, all because we can be changed now and to give us a life that maybe we never would have asked for, but it's better in the long run somehow than we could have had on our own. And Lord, we believe these things are true in you and because of you that you're able to take what we don't understand and transform it into a better road and a better path. And Lord, I don't know what every person out here has been asked to carry or what they've lost, but I'm praying for the hope and the faith that as they see this, as they see you and they see what you did even in Simon's life, it would give them hope today to last, not just for a moment, oh, but for a lifetime through all the ups and the downs and the ups that come again pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.